Welcome to Pop Culture Rx, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's award-winning podcast. Pop Culture Rx is where we sit down with a medical expert and talk through various health-related topics circulating in today's media. In our discussions, you'll hear from a variety of professionals sharing insight and advice on these newsworthy conditions. This is Pop Culture Rx. 39-year-old actress Lala Anthony had struggled with premature ventricular contractions for years, but put off addressing the issue as she focused on her career. Fast forward to this past summer when her heart issues took a turn for the worst and was rushed to the hospital for emergency surgery to fix her heart condition. After only four days in the hospital, Lala Anthony was good as new and decided to share her story to encourage women to prioritize themselves and their health. Today, I'm here with Dr. Taya Glotzer, an electrophysiologist from Hackensack University Medical Center and a professor at the Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine to help us kind of understand what Lala Anthony went through and to discuss various ways we can help keep our hearts healthy. Thanks for being here today, Dr. Glotzer. Thank you so much for having me. So before we dive into Lala Anthony, what is an electrophysiologist? It sounds like a very fancy technical word. So as I say to my patients, the heart has plumbers and electricians. So the plumbers are those that deal with the arteries of the heart, heart attacks, stent placement and things like that. And the electricians of the heart, which is what I do, deal with the electricity of the heart. Too fast, too slow, and irregular. So the cardiologist would technically be the plumber in your case scenario. Well, cardiologists can be plumbers. Those are invasive cardiologists, but there's also plenty of general cardiologists who just see patients in the office, look at echocardiograms, advise patients about lipid management and heart-healthy diets and things like that. So there are general cardiologists, and then there are plumbers, and then there are electricians, and then there are actually heart failure specialists too. Wow. There's sort of a third specialty in cardiology of people who just take care of congestive heart failure. Wow. So there's a lot of different different paths you can go on. Yes. When it comes to cardiology. Yes. So let's dive into Lala Anthony's story. She mentioned how she struggled with premature ventricular contractions for years. That's a really long term. What does that right. mean? Premature ventricular contraction means an extra beat from the bottom of the heart. Premature is early, ventricular is the bottom, and contraction is the heart beating. But I think a patient would experience that as a palpitation. And, you know, ir- irregular heartbeat is a very uncomfortable feeling, and patients definitely are symptomatic from it, and sometimes it gets worse in the setting of anxiety or during a menstrual period or during pregnancy. And um, we do monitoring. We put monitors on patients to figure out if the extra beats are coming from the bottom of the heart, the ventricle, or the top of the heart, the atrium. So you mentioned some types of symptoms. So besides feeling, I'm guessing, a flutter, because some people are always like, oh, I feel a flutter in my chest. What other symptoms would there be for heart palpitations? Right. Well, some people feel sort of a tightness in their throat And it actually makes sense because when the bottom of the heart beats before the top, the blood is going backwards. Instead of going top to bottom, it goes bottom to top, and it it makes you feel sort of a fullness. The other thing people feel sometimes is that their heart stopped 
because when there's an early beat, then there's a long pause before the normal beat comes. And so they feel like their heart stopped for a second. And so these symptoms, what is, is it going to be really detrimental to get treatment right away? Or can you wait like Lala Anthony, even though, I mean, her story turns out good, but then she had to get surgery. Right. So I always say to patients, whenever you have any arrhythmic condition, the first thing you have to do is figure out if the heart is structurally normal or abnormal. So one of the first tests we do is an echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound of the heart, like they do of a baby. Like they put jelly on your chest, it's not invasive, and they take pictures, ultrasound pictures of the heart. So if the heart is structurally normal, arrhythmias are usually benign in terms of your longevity, but they just cause symptoms. Whereas sometimes the arrhythmia is heralding something wrong with the heart. And then if the echo shows that the heart muscle is weak or there's a valve problem, sometimes that needs to be addressed and then the arrhythmia will go away. So I assume early on, if Lala had palpitations, she had some sort of workup that showed it was extra beats from the bottom of the heart, which is how she knew it was PVCs. And I am sure she had an echo, I hope. And someone told her her heart was okay and maybe it could be postponed. Yeah, it does. Me- the article does mention that she did take medication, but she didn't like the side effect of the medication. The side effect was that she felt drowsy all the time. And being an actress and feeling drowsy all the time isn't something that, that goes together. So is medication the only cure for this or, you know, surgery is? Right. So I'm not sure what kind of surgery she had. Did she have an ablation, a cardiac she ablation? Had, yes, she had a cardiac ablation. And and she mentioned how the scary part of it was that she was awake for part yes, of the cardiac yes, yes. ablation. Okay. So um, if someone has arrhythmia condition that's benign, like their heart is normal, um, mo- the most common type we call supraventricular tachycardia. So it's actually an arrhythmia from the top of the heart. And it can make the heart suddenly go from normal to beating like 150 or 160 beats a minute, and then it stops. So the first line therapy is medication, which is beta blockers or calcium channel blockers, but they can have a side effect of making people feel poorly, and they also sometimes don't work. So the next step is for us to do an ablation where a person sort of lies down on a table and we put catheters in the groin, pass them into the heart under x-ray, and we figure out where the abnormal rhythm focus is coming from, and we burn it away with the tip of a catheter that's like the size of a pencil. Wow. So her arrhythmia is, I would say, not the most common because arrhythmias coming from the bottom of the heart are less common than those from the top in a normal heart, but there are plenty of ventricular arrhythmias in normal hearts that we do cure with ablation. And she mentioned that she was awake. Is there a reason for for waking the patient up? Yeah, there actually is. Because when you have this type of, we call it an autonomic tone arrhythmia, which happens more when you're anxious Mm -hmm. or afraid, um, if you put someone to sleep, the arrhythmia will go to sleep too. So now they come into the room and we sedate them and there's no arrhythmia for us to study. So in order to study the arrhythmia, we want to we need to see it yeah. present. And particularly ventricular premature beats, 
that is arrhythmia that particularly we need you to be awake. And sometimes we give a medication called isoprel, which is like intravenous adrenaline to try to see the arrhythmia. But wow. yeah, it's um, we try to give sedation like Valium to make people comfortable, but we don't like to give it until we're sure we can see the problem that we're trying to cure. That must be pretty scary. It's very scary for the patients, but the good news is all of the nurses and the techs and the doctors who work in the room are used to the patients coming in terrified. Mm -hmm. And I think we do a pretty good job of reassuring them and trying to make them as comfortable as possible and telling them if they have anything that's uncomfortable, if anything is bothering them, to please tell us so we can make them more comfortable. And then once we see the arrhythmia and are able to hone in on what the problem is, we can give more sedation while we treat it. So backing up a second, if someone has a, you know, if they're excited or, or maybe, you know, they're nervous for something or they're scared, sometimes, you know, you could feel your heart rate speeding up. When would that person know like, okay, this is not right. I should see a doctor. When should they come and visit you? Right. Um, I think if you feel like your heart is racing too much or irregularly, we're always happy to give you a monitor. You know, we have these easy to put on monitors now that you can shower with. They stay on for 30 days and we'll monitor your heart and we'll tell you if what you're feeling is normal or abnormal. Sometimes people just wanna be reassured. In fact, these devices have a button we can push. So when you feel the symptom, we tell you to push the button. When you feel your palpitation at 9 p.m., push the button, and then I can correlate the day you had the symptoms with what I see on the monitor. And if I tell you, oh, I saw one extra PVC, your heart is normal on echo, it's nothing to worry about, sometimes just the reassurance makes you feel better. Because think about it. I told you these arrhythmias are adrenaline-driven. Mm -hmm. So if you feel a single extra beat, your adrenaline level goes up. They get worse your adrenaline level goes up again. It's a vicious cycle and it's worse. But if you're told, hey, you know, you have a normal heart, these are benign extra beats, it's okay, maybe the next time you feel one, you'll say, okay, there it is again, I'm good, and you'll feel better. Yeah, that is true. Sometimes I feel like I do make up things in my head where it's, where it's like, oh gosh, is my heart beating faster? Let me check my heart rate because I think my heart is beating too fast. and. I feel like sometimes when I'm diving into, you know, research about all these podcasts, I suddenly have all of these things that <laughs> that we're talking about. Well, you're welcome to come at any time and we'll put a monitor on you and, <laughs> and see what's going on with you. And so I mentioned actually talking about um, checking your heart rate. How would someone check their heart rate just themselves? Right. So, um, you know, a lot of people have Apple Watches now. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of wearable devices that can monitor your heart rhythm. And sometimes patients come in with abnormal readings. But what I will say is, as an electrophysiologist, I want to see the actual EKG tracing. I don't want someone to come in and show me a little thing that said their heart rate was 160. Because there's a lot of error in those things too. And I don't trust a number. I need to see the actual EKG reading. But if you wanted to take your own pulse, there's a couple of places in your body. You actually started to point to it yourself. On the thumb side, if you put your palms facing the ceiling, 
so the palm side up, and you put your fingers on the thumb side, there is an artery there that you actually can feel your pulse pretty well. And you're actually not supposed to use your first, your index finger, because your index finger has its own pulse. Oh. So you can wrongly be feeling your index finger. So you should use three and four, and um, you, sh you can feel your pulse, right? Yeah. Okay. There you go. And how would you know it's normal? Like how many beats per minute would be normal? So we say normal is between 60 and 100 beats per minute, somewhere in there. But if you're running or you have a fever or you're anxious, it could be over 100 beats a minute. But the other thing I can say is that it's normal to have heart rate variability. That's something we measure. Your heart rate should change throughout the day. And somebody whose heart rate is always exactly the same is actually unhealthy. It's, we call it heart rate variability. And it's a measure of autonomic tone, which is, you know, the, the nervous system has a component, the autonomic component, which we can't control, like breathing. You can't control your, I mean, you can control your breathing, but you're going to keep breathing. And your heart is going to continue to beat without you doing anything about it. And that is the autonomic nervous system that makes you breathe and makes your heart beat. And it should cause variability in the heart rate throughout the day. Okay, I wanted to switch gears a little bit. And I wanted to talk about COVID and myocarditis and how it's really impacting everyone right now. Because, you know, a lot of people are talking if you can get myocarditis from getting COVID itself, from the vaccine, from all these yes. different places. So, so I wanted to hear your thoughts sure, on it. Sure, sure. So first, let me say, there's so much we don't know. There's so much we don't know. So everything I say, take with a grain of salt, because I, we're still learning, learning, learning. So we think the COVID virus infects part of the vessel wall. And that's one of the reasons why this particular virus is impacting all body parts. It's not just the lungs, which is, impacts the worst, but there's brain fog, and there are actually quite a bit of autonomic dysfunction where people feel dizzy when they stand up, and they do have tachycardia um, after having COVID. So that, that's the reason that COVID is different than other viruses. The myocarditis that we see, we think is due to an immunity, an immune response that our own body produces to the virus or to the vaccine. So in some people, when they try to mount an immunity against the virus, their body just goes crazy and mounts a huge, huge immune response, and that causes myocarditis. And the same is true to the vaccine. And it seems that the myocarditis seems to be worse in young male subjects who get the vaccine, like 16 to 20-year-old men. Yeah, there was actually a recent, um, I guess, alert. I don't, I don't even know. There was a recent article about how um, the particular risk happens in under 30-year-olds for, for the vaccine. Yeah. Which is kind of scary. Yeah, it's very scary. So when should someone seek out a doctor for for this? Because I feel like everyone is kind of, you know, getting the vaccine or getting COVID or different right. things like that. When should someone? Well, I would say, you know, when you have symptoms. When you have symptoms. I mean, if you feel well, 
stay away from doctors because <laughs> doctors do a lot of testing and sometimes, you know. Um, but if you don't feel well, I mean, everybody knows that after the vaccine, you may feel poorly for a day or two. Some people actually feel poorly for a week. But symptoms of myocarditis would include shortness of breath or maybe palpitations or maybe chest pain. I mean, you know, serious heart symptoms. And if you started to feel those, I would say, yes, you should see a doctor. Now I'm flipping again. Overall, how can we keep our hearts healthy? That's a big, big, big question that is really for a general cardiologist. Um, But I'll try to, I guess I would say, you know, diet and exercise are the most important things. Um, Try to eat healthy, which is hard to do if people are working and they're in a rush. And, you know, I do it myself. Um, And, you know, healthy is not something I'm going to get into because it's complicated. You can read about it. Um, (laughs) But, you know. And, um, and exercise. I think exercise is really, really, really important. And it's hard if you're working to make time to exercise, but you have to make the time. Absolutely. And is there anything else you'd like to add today that you want our, our listeners to know? I'm happy as an electrophysiologist, as part of Hackensack Meridian, to see anyone who wants to come and you know, who feels their heart beating too fast, too slow, or irregular. The other thing we do is fainting. Oh, we do what we do because a lot of fainting is due to arrhythmias. So if people have fainting problems, we're happy to take care of them. That's interesting. I actually was a frequent fainter, a frequent faller, as they would call me, in high school. Um, So I've had my fair share of fainting. So maybe I do have an irregular heartbeat. Yeah. Well, it's... (laughs) The most common cause of fainting, we call it vagal, yep. vasovagal. So that's probably what you had. Mm-hmm. And um, we do a lot. We deal with that a lot. But we like to reassure people if that's what they have. Yes. I've, I've fainted all over the world, actually. I fainted in the Vatican. And I was very upset because no one gave me free water. And I didn't get to see the Pope. And that was really upsetting to me. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you so much for being here with us today, Dr. Glotzer. Thank you for having me. If you have a topic you'd like for us to cover, submit your ideas on hmh4u.org backslash podcast. Your suggestion could be included in the You Asked For It special episodes. The material provided through this Help You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.